0: A very uh, exhausted and worn out John of the Macri Coming at you um, after what was um, probably the Knicks No, not probably, why am I hedging? I'm not going to hedge, nobody likes hedgers People like people like people that go for it, I'm going to go for it This was absolutely um, the Knicks' biggest win um, of this year um, and yes, I'm going to include both Dallas games in that. And I, trust me, I remember those games well. Um, they weren't, not like they were that long ago. Um, but those, both of those games came as the season was kind of already sliding into oblivion. And we could all, you know, even the most optimistic among, among us. Could already tell, like, yeah, all of the Kool Aid that maybe some of us were drinking. And I know a lot of you never, never touched the stuff, but I, you know, me, I can't help myself. You put a, put a nice cold glass of Kool Aid in front of me, I'm, I'm going to take it every time. Um, all of us who were drinking that over the summer, by the time they, they won those Dallas games, um, we were already realizing, like, yeah, you know, obviously those wins were amazing, but, um, you know, it, it already started to stink, and uh, obviously things kept going downhill. And you know, the fact obviously that the win came today, um, where uh, you know, on a day where Leon Rose officially took his took his place as the latest uh, president of the New York Knicks, um, I think has significance, and it has a lot of meaning. Um, and I think that has to do with the fact that this kind of felt like not a not a new start but yeah i guess it actually that's probably the best way i could put it it felt like a new start um it felt like somebody hit the reset button and you know there was a lot tied up in this there was a lot wrapped up in kind of everything that went into the day and what's been leading up to it. Um, first of all, I'll start with the no presser thing because that was a, that got a bit of a good play earlier today. And before I get to the game, I think it's important to touch on that because, you know, I, I'm, I'm never going to consider myself a member of the media. I don't care where this takes me. I'm, I'm always going to be a fan first. If I'm, if I'm a fan that someday happens to have um, an expanded amount of media access then, you know, that's great and so be it, but um, I I have at least begun to understand where the media comes from, and it would be easy to sit here and be like, yeah, of course the media is going to rail on the Knicks for not doing a press conference because it makes their life tougher, because it makes their stories more difficult to write, and When a new president takes over and he gives you a bunch of quotes in front of the dais, it makes stories easier. I don't think it's quite that simple. I think journalists, no, not I think. I know journalists take their job very seriously. Yes, even journalists who report on the Knicks, who a lot of people think just revel in their um, tomfoolery, they all take their job very seriously. And I think there is a certain ethos that they believe in um, where they feel like, you know, you hire a new president to run things you haven't spoken publicly um since that disaster of a press conference what four months ago um you owe it to everybody involved to come out and you know answer some questions and i get that and i respect that but for me and you know i'm always going to come at this as a fan selfishly i wanted him to have the presser because i wanted to go to it and ask him a couple of questions of my own but for me as a fan um you know, I've lost count of the amount of press conferences that the the Knicks have, have, you know, quote unquote won. Um you know, I could remember I remember the Fizz press conference very well. For some reason that stands out and and not just because of the the A We're Gonna Get You Right line. But uh I remember it was the first Nick presser that I think I ever wrote about and um how I, I was just eating up Fizzdale's bullshit like uh hey, like it was Kool Aid. Um, and they didn't do that today. And look, he may do it a week from now, or a month from now, or in April, or whenever. Um, but I, I, I think for this particular organization, it's it's funny because you could you could look at it both ways. You could say them not trying to win the back page, and them not trying to you know prioritize season ticket holders, reupping, um, you know through whatever promises might be made. And and I know he sent the letter to season ticket holders, but, you know, it was, I think, a more conservative letter than anything else. Um, I think that's progress, but you could also argue that them continuing to hold back on media availability is a step back. So whichever side of that coin you fall on, you know, I'm not going to say you're right, I'm not going to say you're wrong, but for me personally, I kind of appreciated the fact that this is clearly someone who's going to come in and do his due diligence. And, you know, obviously I've never met Leon Rose. I've never met, I mean, I've met a couple of agents, but not many. Um, but I do know one thing about lawyers. And if you're a player agent, you, you obviously, you know, you're a lawyer. Um, there are a few things that all lawyers have in common. And it is one of them is this idea that you're not you're not going to act until you have all the facts um and that may seem like an oversimplistic generalization but i think when you have a lawyer that has been as successful in his field as leon rose has been in his and you could argue he's the most successful player agent in the last 20 years you know i think it says something that he's going to come in and you know take his time and do his due diligence and Just get to know the inner workings of the garden. Um, And that process started tonight. Um, He introduced himself to the players, obviously. He spoke to the coaches. Um, I I don't know exactly what he said. By Kevin Knox's account, it was just something as simple as, like, I want to get to know you guys. I want to get to know things. And, you know, I, I feel good about this group and trying to encourage them and give them confidence. But here's one thing I do know. The thing that I do know is that this is the first time I have seen um, the Knicks young players all collectively play with, to say that they were carefree is not enough because that really doesn't do it justice because they weren't carefree. It was more than that. They were playing loose. They were playing confident. They were playing like a group of kids who felt like they not only deserved to be out on the court, but that the the organization that employed them, and I think I said this on the, the post-game periscope, believed in them to a certain extent. Because, like, you know, I've been rooting my ass off for Frank Nilekina for going on, what, three years now? And... You know, I, we've we've seen him have some dunk attempts. He, we've even seen him put a couple of those down, but um, taking a step back three in front of um, you know one of the one of the preeminent superstars in the entire league, and I know he missed the shot, but that came in a stretch where he took, I believe, in the fourth quarter. Um, and if anybody didn't watch the game, this is a game that the Knicks held a lead of you know between. 10 and I think he got up to 21 points from like the middle of the second quarter, you know, right up until like the, they had a 10 point lead, I want to say with about five minutes to go in the fourth. Um, And then Houston really started to creep back in and, and it came down to the final possession, which we'll get to. But He Frank Melkina had, I believe, four shot attempts in the span of five or six or maybe seven possessions in the fourth. And I should probably pull up the play-by-play, but it's late and um, my eyes are glazing over, so I'm not going to do that. But that's a that's a version of Frank that I think even the people who hate him and God knows there's a lot of them out there, you know, he made I think two of the four attempts. Like everybody could agree. That's the version of Frank Nilakina that we want. That's the version of Frank Nilakina that we need. And, you know, it's not a coincidence that uh, there was Frank. He didn't start the game, but he closed the first half. And I believe he played the entire fourth quarter um, because I I don't think Alfred Payton checked back into the game after he was pulled for Frank, um, you know, midway through the third quarter. So now that gets into something else because it's one thing to say well you know was it something that Leon Rose said directly that uh, imbued these guys with a certain amount of confidence did it get through to them through back channels Um, that you know there's going to be a real emphasis on the younger players on this team from here on in or was it something as simple as Leon Rose basically going to Mike Miller and saying listen um, I want you to play the kids more because that's where our future is, and we're worried about the future. Now, if you watch the game, you notice Leon Rose was sitting next to Scott Perry the entire uh, game, and it looked like they were, you know, every time they the camera went on to them, they were certainly involved in what seemed like uh cordial conversation. Um, Scott Perry certainly didn't seem like a guy who was out of a job, Um you know, he he seemed like just someone else in the organization that that Leon Rose is gonna take his time to assess. Um, many have many, including me, have suspected that Scott Perry was at was at the the reason behind uh some of these young guys not getting as much time as all of us would have wanted. Um, you know, who knows? Who knows what the inner workings are um that led to what we saw tonight. You know, Mike Miller said after the game it was as simple as Frank was doing stuff on the court that we liked, um, and we just went with it. Um, I believe Judd Bushler at halftime, uh, the halftime report with Rebecca Harlow, said specifically that um, they looked at the on-off numbers tonight, and they liked what they saw, so that's why they closed the— I, I think that's that was his reason for closing the half with Frank, to which I want to say, listen— um, if you're making decisions on who to close a half based like you, that's that seemed odd to me. It seemed like a convenient reason for something that is there. There's a there's another real reason for because I don't think coaching staff is looking at on-off numbers over the course of a first half to decide who closes a half. So again, um, you know, you could ask questions about the messaging, but I, I think we all know. In some way, shape, or form, um, Leon Rose is already putting his fingerprints on how this team is going to look and feel on the basketball court. Um, and the main difference, I would say, in how they looked and field f- field field is not a word. Um, get, a, get a podcast. You'll probably do better than me. Um, yeah, how they look and felt tonight is in the play of one um, Rowan James Barrett. So RJ came out, and much like he did, actually not much like he did, exactly like he did the last time the Knicks played the Houston Rockets, um, he came out and scored 14 points in the first quarter. And uh, it was an efficient 14 points. He was taking good shots. He is finding his way to the basket in ways that, you know, I think part of it has to do with there's maybe a little bit more spacing, but I think he's just kind of learning how to maneuver on an NBA court more um, and easier than he was earlier in the year because even though he started the year off as a more efficient shooter, a lot of that efficiency came from the three-point line. His first 10 or so games, I feel like, in the the pros, he was shooting the three really well, but he hasn't been good around the basket all year, Um, and some of those miscues around the hoop are starting to turn into plays where it's like, oh, oh, okay, I... I see what you're going, you know, after here, and, you know, it happened early, and it happened often, and obviously, it happened very much on the last play of the game against a defender in P.J. Tucker, who, like, not anyone could just go drive on P.J. Tucker and lay the ball in with the game on the line, but that's exactly what Barrett did, Um Again, it's part of a learning curve for a kid who's 19 years old and is obviously still getting used to the NBA without the athleticism of a Zion Williamson or a, or a Ja Morant. We always knew he was going to have to do it with craft and finesse and, you know, kind of more old man game than than those other guys have to do it with. But you know what? That's fine. That's his game. That's what he is. And we saw tonight 10 for 18 from the field, 27 points. Had five dimes. You'd love to see that um, because he kind of, you knew he was in his own head when for like a two-month stretch in the middle of the season, he just was he was finishing games with like no assists, one assist, two assists. Like that's not, that's not R.J. Barrett. Um, R.J. Barrett is a guy who, yes, of course he will, he will look to get a bucket when a bucket is there to be had. Um... But he's a, I think he's a passer first and foremost. I think he's always going to be that. Um, so five dimes tonight. There was three against the Bulls. There was five against the Sixers. Um, it's it's nice to see him picking up there once again because early in the season, that is the one thing he was doing, you know, a little bit better very early under Fizz. Um, and, and hopefully we could kind of get back to that. I think you could argue it was R.J.'s best game as a Nick. I think you could probably argue it was Frank DeLacchina's—I don't know if it was his best game, but it was close to it, um, given his defensive assignment on several of those possessions, including, obviously, on Russ on the last play. Um, and not to be forgotten about, um, and it's funny because he's really been—I don't think it's any dispute—the Knicks' best player— um, over the course of the last several weeks, maybe even the last several months, I know there was a stretch there where there were people who were kind of getting nervous about Mitchell Robinson. Um, but I would say right since about the middle of January, um, you could and I know the numbers are popping more recently, but you could see this coming. And sure enough, tonight I tweeted out a few days ago. Um, Mitchell Robinson was first in the NBA in offensive rebound percentage for the month of uh, month of February. Tonight, five more offensive rebounds, thirteen rebounds total, um, twelve points, five of eight from the field. A um, couple of those misses were on some like tip in attempts late in the game. He absolutely, you know, changed the game when he was in there, and. He didn't do it in the way that we're often accustomed to. He didn't end the night with any blocks because the Rockets obviously play five out, and um, you can't have Mitchell Robinson down there just to swat away shots. But he—and to be clear, that is how the Rockets play off opposing big men on other teams because they say, you're not going to be able to hang with our perimeter shooters— and when they when those shooters turn into drivers you're going to get left in the dust. So we're going to play you off the court and we're not going to have to deal with you being a problem on the glass. And Mitch basically took what they threw at him and he he survived it. Yeah, there were a couple of scrambling possessions especially in the fourth quarter, middle of the fourth quarter where you had Mitch with um with Knox when he was still in the game. Um, kind of scrambling around, trying to, you know, chase the open man, and, and the Rockets got him a couple times with threes. But overall, I thought he held up really well. And his presence on the offensive end, again, only eight field goal attempts, only five makes, but I thought it was it was significant. Um, not to be outdone, Taj Gibson played 24 minutes. He had 10 rebounds, four offensive in his own right, um, eight points. <sighs> You, that exhale, um you know what I'm getting to. Um we gotta talk about Julius Randle because Julius Randle just you know I, I said I said to my wife at some point when we were watching this game and I was like I think Julius Randle has entered the pantheon for me of most frustrating Knicks in my life. Um Cantor obviously he is the he is the George Washington of this Mount Rushmore. He will always be there, um, you know. And I would say Derek Rose has a place there too. Um, yes, Carmelo Anthony, especially late Nick career, Carmelo Anthony. And I would say Julius Randle too. And, and the reason all those guys are there is not is it's not because they're bad. It's because. Every one of those guys, I watched them in a Nick uniform and I would just get infuriated because I felt like there was so much more that they could be doing to be better and so much less that they could cut out of their game to be better and make everybody around them better. And they just refused to cut out those things, you know, with Rose, it was like, avoiding contact like the plague on drives and dying on every single pick. And I was like, God, you have the talent to be better than that. Why don't you do it? You know, I don't need to rehash the issues with, with Mello, Cantor. I mean, like, come on, we know what his stuff was. With Randall tonight, like, they don't win the game without Julius Randall. Um, he had 16 rebounds, six of which were on the offensive glass. Like, that's a massive game. I know he was only 5 of 14 from the field, and several of those attempts were poor shot attempts. He had three turnovers, all of the classic Julius Randle variety, but he also had four assists, and he ended up with 16 points. He drew a key foul. He made one of two free throws on a couple trips to the line late. I know that's not ideal, but look, I'm captain of the put Julius Randle on a rocket ship and send him to the moon fan club, but it's it's what makes him infuriating is not because he's terrible what makes him infuriating is because he is talented and good and could be so much better if he just be you know settled into being the player he is supposed to be instead of this version of himself that he wants to be um you know and i know that's easier said than done on a team where the stakes for this season were essentially you know gone within the first month of play. Um but I don't know. I, I'm I'm still conflicted on Randall. I have a, I have a funny feeling he's gonna be back next year, but I don't know, we'll see. Um you know, Mo Harkless played a great game. Um he's the pros pro. Um I, I I wonder if they did not waive him because they have some notion of trying to bring him back next year on a on a fair salary. Um obviously a New York guy. Um, But that was interesting. Bobby Portis played some nice minutes. Wayne Ellington, five huge three-pointers. Again, would not have won the game without Wayne Ellington. It was just, it's other than a few of the the bad Randall possessions, um, this game was pretty much everything you wanted from the Knicks. Um, And yes, it's easy to say that because they got a win against a really good team and it was an exciting win and the whole thing. But it was the young guys doing the heavy lifting, and it was the young guys being supported by the right types of veterans to make their lives easier. Um, You know, I didn't mention Kevin Knox, but, you know, Kevin Knox even had a couple moments where, sure, he got abused on defense a couple times, where he had a nice couple plays on defense too. I'm going to hopefully be able to find them and clip them in in the newsletter. Um, Hit a nice three. It's, um, you know, things are maybe starting to come along. And... I'm not going to fall into the temptation of, of making too much about this win. Like, I have so many wins before that ended up meaning nothing. Um, and, yeah, there was an extra pep in their step because the new president took over today. And he's, you know, he's going to be here. And they were, you know, it's like you try to impress the new boss. Um, but, you know, it's it's a new day. It's a new start. It's a new chance to not be what this organization has been for far too long. And of, cu- of speaking of which, of course, of course, we had a, a kerfuffle tonight with a, a video circulating of Spike Lee having an argument as he tried to um, enter the bowels of of MSG. Um, for those of you who haven't seen the video, it's basically more an audio than a video of, of Spike Lee clearly arguing with some guard and personnel and he's saying, um, uh, nobody told me. And I, I know the hallway that he, he was coming into because it's, it's, um, it's not a hallway that fans who are trying to get to their seats ever go in. It's a, it's an employee hallway and it's for the, and you need to have like a media pass. Um, so, you know, it it seems like, um, that there was a mix-up in terms of, again, Spike Lee has not been to a ton of games this year. Um, You know, they I know they changed the rules in terms of, like, which way you could go in the bowels of MSG to try to get out to the court between the second-to-last time I was at the the Garden covering a game and the last time I was at the Garden covering a game. um, Whatever. It was probably handled poorly in the moment, but... um, someone someone with the Knicks reached out to me and and told me yes indeed James Dolan did speak to Spike personally at halftime and and apparently smoothed everything over so you know thankfully um this win and Leon Rose's first day as president is not is not soured by anything um you know but at the same time you, you know you it, you're almost happy that that happened because it's a reminder to Rose not that he probably needed one but in case he did that there's there's a lot of work to be done here like this organization needs a facelift in a lot of areas and um that's the last thing I'll say before I sign off and it's just you know they they win despite themselves sometimes and they and they get good press despite themselves sometimes but there is and, I, and I've seen it up close this year, covering the game. And it's not just something that exists with the media. It's, it's, it goes deeper than that. It's more than that. There's like a, I almost want to say there's like a black cloud. And the only way to usher that out is to really just kind of change the way things are done. Like day-to-day shit. Um, and I wish I could be more specific. And quite frankly, I, I don't, I don't have the wherewithal to wrap my head around what exactly some of those changes need to be, because I, <laughs> I don't run basketball teams for a living. And and as, and as much as I wish I could, you know, give a give Leon Rose a list of a uh, to do list, you know, I can't do that. But, you know, just going back to the first thing I said, I think it was smart of him. To say, I'm going to take my time and I'm going to assess every aspect of this organization from top to bottom. Um, and if he does that and he's honest with himself, and more importantly, if he's honest with Jim Dolan and Jim Dolan lets him be honest with him. Um, I think something really good could come out of this because he's a he's a bright guy, um, clearly has a way with people. Um you know, and you'd think he'd be smart enough to reach out to someone that could really run a basketball team very well and hire the right GM because you know obviously a lot of what happens over the coming years is going to be determined by who that person is. So, um, Goodwin, good night, um, all the stuff you want. Uh, I, I would, you know, we got. I I know we debuted. Um, Jeremy debuted today in the newsletter, uh, or yesterday, I guess now the uh Tank Talk, Tank Talk section in which we talk about or which he writes about games that um you know, we should be rooting a certain way because of the implications for the draft lottery. Um I will tell you right now, uh, you can yell at me all you want. If this game is a precursor of the young guys playing like this and leading them to a few more wins than maybe would benefit them in the lottery over the course of these last uh what do they got left? Um, twenty twenty one games? I am not gonna be complaining. I'm not gonna be complaining one bit. Because that's what you want. That's that's why you do everything you do as an organization is to give yourself a chance to have young players play well and give yourself something to build on going into the off season. Um, you know, lottery gods be damned. And and as I said on the yesterday's pod, uh I think I think Cole Anthony will be there, uh, hopefully, knock on wood, uh, wherever they draft. He's, he's the guy that I want. Uh, all right. I've talked long enough. I felt like I just had to do a pod after that game and after today and after everything. So, um, hope you enjoyed it. I'll have another one out uh, for you on Thursday with a very special guest who joins us sometimes. And uh, I'm looking forward to having him back on the show. And, uh, yeah, enjoy the rest of your week, everybody. Video.